Hello and welcome back to the South American Football Show on the World Football Index. Football has taken a bit of a break over the last couple of months, but now we're looking ahead and we can see the return of World Cup qualifiers. We can see the Copa Libertadores coming back in September and the leagues are beginning to start around the continent. So before we get back into the Libertadores swing of things, I wanted to go around to each country and get an update on how things have been developing, some of the key transfers, looking forward to the Copa Libertadores return and the World Cup qualifiers. So today we're going to focus on one of the the giants of the continent. Uh, We're focusing on Argentina. Obviously plenty of news to talk about and uh, it's going to be a big year in terms of the national team. So I'm delighted to be joined uh, by two Argentine football experts familiar to you guys for the show uh first of all tom robinson welcome back cheers it's good to be back and uh good to finally be talking a bit about um argentinian football certainly the domestic football at least which has taken a a very long break well over 160 days now so absolutely uh desperate to see that return to uh to our screens again excellent also joining me today is someone you'll have heard on the podcast in the past is uh tom nash tom welcome how are things down there in uh in buenos aires Hello, Simon. Yes, thank you. Thank you for having us on. And it's, uh, yeah, like Tom says, lovely to be talking about football again. It's been a long, long winter in Buenos Aires, but um, spring's around the corner and football is around the corner. So things are finally looking up. So, yeah, I suppose we should start with how things are here, really just concerning the uh, the pandemic. It's quite worrying, really, actually, the news around coronavirus for Argentina, because it's still reaching new records every day, uh, the pandemic in the country, because... Argentina had a sort of preventative lockdown in place uh, at the same time European countries implemented it. And there weren't many cases in the country by then. So they managed to uh, avoid having a you know a very sudden onrush of this, this virus in, in March and April, like you saw in Europe. But um, all it's meant is that those cases have been spread out over a longer time. So uh, just last week, we saw the country still setting new records for the number of cases. So it's still yet to peak in the country, which is a little bit worrying. Um, and, you know, it's in this context that football will return and it's undoubtedly had an impact on the fact that Argentina's probably been the slowest of the major footballing nations in the world to actually get back to business and, and set a date for restarting domestic football again. Tom, so tell me, when is football expected to return? What is the current plan in place for uh, football there in Argentina? Well, as as with everything in Argentinian football, there's there's not always a lot that's set in stone, but um, certainly we're getting ever so closer to um, a, a confirmed date. The, certainly the tentative return date at the moment looks to be the 27th of September. And um, it's it's going to be quite an interesting format, as it often is out here. Um, and um, basically, given that the the Copa de la Liga was interrupted just as it started. And obviously the sort of short time frame that we've got to, to fit everything into the rest of the year, it's going to be quite, um, yeah, quite a weird format. Basically the idea um, is, is going to be called the Copa de la Liga Profesional del Fútbol 2020. Um, and there's a classification round, first of all. So 24 teams split into six zones of four teams and they'll play each other home and away, plus obviously throw in the interzonal Classico, naturally. Um, everyone's everyone's favourite. Um, and then basically the, the top two of each of those six groups um, advance to the next phase, which is the Campeón de Copa. Um, and then that will be in two groups of six teams so hopefully you're, you're still with me here um and basically the winner of those two groups will play it for for the final the winner of that um one game neutral stadium and the and they'll get a libertadores place for for next year uh, meanwhile obviously you've got the the teams that don't make it through the initial classification phase and they're not going to get left out so they're going to be playing in the Complementación de Copa, um, so just kind of the complementary um, tournament. Again, the same sort of for- format of two uh, two groups of six teams, um, and then the winner of that will play the runner-up of the um, of the other final for a place in the Sudamericana. So a lot to to try and get your head round there, and um, and they're going to cram that all into to the re- to the, to the end of the year. Um, so as as ever. A bit mad, a bit crazy, um, but there is going to 
just be finally at least some some football back with us and it's going to be it could throw up plenty of surprises in this um you know this very sort of short um format and, and various different gr- uh, groups so yeah I, th- I think it's going to be it's going to be interesting to say the least yeah absolutely uh tom so tom nash uh so tell me a, a team's backing training um do, is there a sense perhaps then we're going to go talk about the copper Libertadores in a minute but is there a sense perhaps this might be a, a disadvantage for some of the argentine teams when football returns given that you know we've seen football up and running in in paraguay uruguay looks like it's been forward now as well is there a sense that perhaps argentine teams might might suffer a little bit um with a with a delay in restart and when did training begin and, and is training still limited so yeah the, there is uh, quite a lot of worry about this issue actually in argentina because teams only actually resume training in um about the start of august so uh, you know things were abandoned very hastily in march as the pandemic was arriving and the players didn't even train together until August. So other countries in South America had even restarted, not just training, but had actually restarted competition by then. You know, I think the Brazilians came back in June or July. They've played six rounds of their domestic league now already. So, yeah, there is a feeling that Argentine teams are going to go into this, this round of Libertadores games, which kicks off on the 15th of September at a huge disadvantage because they won't have played a competitive match in, in six months. So the teams are training, but, you know, they're really in pre-season mode and they're not even going to get to have a couple of rounds of the domestic league just to sort of test themselves out and up to speed before the Libertadores kicks in. So it's a very, very challenging situation for the Argentine sides in continental competitions. Absolutely. And while we're on the subject of kind of league restarts, I've been reading that the uh, the women's team are expected to begin uh, training on the 10th of September uh, with a plan to start a kind of more limited league in October uh, with teams uh, kind of lined up for that. I mean, positive to hear that women's football is returning. But I was wondering, guys, what what is the feeling for women's football in Argentina? Is there some momentum? How have the authorities been kind of looking at this? Is How is women's football seen in Argentina at the moment? And how much enthusiasm is there for the, for the league to restart? Women's football is going through a pretty historic era in Argentina. It, it turned professional at the start of last year. So uh, it's, yeah, the game itself is, is on the up as it is in so many parts of the world. It is gaining prominence and it's some of the games are being televised on, on TNT, which is the, the sports channel that shows the men's game. Um, but women's football sort of run into the, the same problem that the lower leagues of the men's game have run into in that because they don't generate that much in income, uh, the cost of implementing protocols and, and having coronavirus tests done uh, once or twice a week, like, like the first division men's teams do, uh, is extremely high compared to what the league generates in rights, in sponsorship and, and all this sort of thing. So, uh, yeah, it's it's coming back a little bit later than, than the male uh, game. But there's no doubt that before the pandemic, it, w- it was a game that was on the rise, certainly. You know, it's, it's a real watershed moment for, for the women's sport in Argentina. Okay, good. Sounds like there's uh, some positive movement there, which is, which is great to hear. Um, I think South American football, uh, in regards to women's football, has been pretty slow. But, you know, with the Libertadores being a, a regular occurrence and, and some more professional leagues popping up here and there, uh, it looks like finally we're going to get a, a chance for for some players to show what they can do because uh, there's obviously a lot of talent but without a, a consistent professional league then it's very very difficult to realize potential so hopefully um despite the the obvious challenges um there's some positive news moving forward the Libertadores we, we love talking about it let's get into a bit of an update on where the Argentine teams are and whether they've got a what a good chance when they return so we'll, we'll start at the top uh, in terms of group B Tigre <laughs> Tom Tom Robinson what are you what are you what are the chances of Tigre getting out of this group because they haven't really made a, a very good start so far 
yeah i think it's it was always going to be a, a really big push uh, for them to to, to do anything really given that they were they relegated last season I mean they had a, a fantastic end, end to the year you know winning uh, the Copa de la Liga which was um, yeah absolutely fantastic um, and it gave them some um, something to to look forward to after narrowly missing out on staying up um, but realistically their team is is full of experienced veterans. There's very little energy and youth in there. And, and you kind of feel that they're almost making up the numbers. They've, they've lost their first two games um, already in, 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 a, in a tough group. You know, Palmeiras always going to be up there as what is one of the best sides in the competition. Uh, Guarani have looked very good and Bolivar um, obviously have their, their home advantage um, and are a, a seasoned team at this level. So yeah, not expecting anything from, from Tigre, at all to be honest i think realistically the out of the the clubs from argentina that are representing you you've got to look at river and boca obviously and, and ratting who have had a fantastic start defense might sneak out but they've they've had a pretty poor start as well so um not expecting too much from them either okay cool well tom nash uh, let's talk about river so river is in a group with sao paulo ldu and b nacional um everyone's on three points so far so it's, it's an interesting group b nacional um it looks like they're not going to be playing at their extreme mm-hmm. altitude um which is uh, obviously a huge advantage for them usually so they're not going to have that uh, surely that will be a big boost for river plate's chances in in what is an interesting group quite a tricky group as well yeah like you say it's it's a very tricky group and everyone's got a chance of, of advancing everyone's on everyone's won one and lost one after the two games were played so yeah like you say that's a huge advantage to river the fact that um, Binacional's games because of issues around the pandemic and local lockdowns uh, will be moved from the altitude of Juliaca which is I believe close to La Paz's altitude is about 4,000 metres and brought down to sea level uh, in Lima uh, and that makes River Plate really instant favourites to win that game which they probably wouldn't have been if it had been played at extreme altitude um, so, well, you should mention that the other teams, especially Sao Paulo, will feel quite hard done by because they had to play at altitude against Binacional. They lost, of course, because the altitude is just such a tricky place to play for Argentine and Brazilian teams that are used to playing at sea level. So Sao Paulo lost at altitude and, yeah, they, they really won't be happy to see River playing um, in Lima against Binacional. And, you know, if River win that game, then... Um, you know, it's going to be very controversial because they've got a sort of sporting advantage, which, you know, this is just the way this pandemic's turning out. It's unpredictable and different areas and different countries are able to cope with it in different ways. So, yeah, it certainly gives River, uh, gives them an advantage, which will probably be much needed considering that they're the team that took the longest off training and, and off competitive football as well. Yeah, I mean, B Nacional definitely looked like a different team at sea level. Uh, they won, uh, they won against Sao Paulo, as you say, at the extreme altitude, and it really is incredible altitude. It's, it's about as high as you can get in South America. Um, they're a team that kind of surprised us. You know, it's a new team. They've got an interesting badge, if we remember, uh, a real dodgy Photoshop dog slash weasel type of animal. I don't know. I don't really know what it is. Um, and they've got a, a very interesting squad full of very talented, but a bit mad uh, players. So an inconsistent team uh, playing at altitude could have pulled off some upsets, but yeah, they lost 8-0 against uh, River Plate in Argentina. So uh, up up and down so far, but definitely the, the loss of altitude is going to be a, a, be a big loss for them and will kind of change the balance of the group. Obviously, LDU Quito as well. Um, would have perhaps fared a little bit better at the altitude there in Peru um, than perhaps some of the other sides. So it's an interesting one, as you say, very well balanced. And we'll we'll talk shortly about some of the changes to the sides and how that could uh, perhaps impact on them. Uh, Tom, I'll come back to you, Tom Robinson. Um, what about Racing? So they're in Group F with Nacional, Estudiantes and Alianza. Um, they've got six points and Nacional have got six points. But it hasn't been as simple as it sounds. You'd, you'd probably say Nacional and uh, Racing are the favourites and, and they have done the business. But, you know, Racing haven't been particularly convincing so far in, in the Libertadores. Yeah, they're, they're still a side that I think um, are sort of finding their feet under under Becca Sese. There's some really promising signs there. Um, 
and they have they have been decent if not maybe as free-flowing as as we've seen them in the past but um it's going to be really interesting to see whether this break has has kind of knocked the the positive momentum they were starting to build especially in this tournament um or whether it's given maybe um because a bit more time on the um on the training pitch to to get his ideas across and and start uh, forming something i think that they're certainly one of the Argentinian clubs with the kindest draws. Um, Nacional, even though they're Uruguayan champions and have slowly crept up the league since the restart, aren't, are still they're not as good as they were last year. And and you know you know what you're going to get from them: grind out the victories and uh, and all the sort of stereotypes you want to you want to throw at them there. But they're not the a Nacional side maybe to be feared and then Estudiantes de Merida and Alianza Lima even if they're gonna they'll you know they'll give you a game but at the same time you know you you shouldn't be having too much trouble dispatching them so they've kind of done what they've needed to without necessarily hitting third fourth fifth gear yet but um, I think they're a side that are, are worth a watch and and I think they could they could have a decent run they've they've certainly got um some Good players in there, you know. Um, Zalacho is a young midfielder. Ho- hopefully, they'll be able to hold on to him. Although there's a lot of teams, um, Leeds obviously being the one that's linked to pretty much every young Argentinian right now. But they've also brought in um, Matias Ibanez and Lorenzo Lorenzo Melgarejo, who are good solid signings as well. So I think Racing could be out of all the Argentinian clubs anyway, they're probably the, the dark horses, um, if you will. Okay, sounds good. Okay, well, Tom, I'm going to come back to you. Defensa y Justicia, uh, a side that's been quite exciting in their in their development. You know, the stadium is always lively on a Libertadores night. Obviously, won't be the case when we restart, but uh, they've not done particularly well so far in Group G. It's a tricky one. They're in with Santos, Olimpia and Delfin. Delfin are very dangerous in the counter-attack. Santos have got quality. Olympia are, are pretty good as well. But Defensa are at the bottom with zero points so far. Uh, Tom, can you see Defensa bouncing back? How are they How are they looking at the moment? Um, do they still have hope in this Group G uh, with the future fixtures coming up? Uh, they do have the hope, yeah. They, they, I mean, they're an exciting side. They've competed as well. I mean, the first game against Santos was, was well fought. They end up losing 2-1. Um, so yeah, they're on zero points after two games, but they do have a chance to save themselves because the upcoming games are when it returns on the 17th of September, they're at home to Delphine and the next week they're at home to Olympia of Paraguay. So they're going to need to get six points from those two games really. Uh, and then they will put themselves in a position to compete. So, um, no, it hasn't gone well for them so far. I mean, they're debutants in this tournament, let's not forget. And, um, but no, I mean they do. You know, the, theirs is probably the critical fixture uh, in the next round because, like you say, River Boca, Racing could probably afford to lose points in the next round. Uh, Tigre probably, like Tom said, are really looking at going out because they're just uh, in a group that's beyond them. But uh, Defensa is the one to keep an eye on because uh, you know their their game really is critical now. It's it'll be a crossroads for them in the tournament, and and it would be nice for them to pick up as well because. Uh, Let's not forget they have a Libertadores legend in charge of the team, Hernán Crespo, and a lot of exciting talent as well. So, um, yeah, he's hoping they pick up three points against Delphine and, and can make a fight of it in that group. OK, good. And the final Argentine team, uh, we'll go to Tom Robinson again, uh, Boca Juniors, in with Libertad, Caracas and Medellín, uh, currently on four points, so pretty well-placed. Um You'd expect them to progress. Tom, how have, how have Boca been looking and uh, what are your expectations for this group and for the side when they return? Yeah, as you said, you'd, you'd expect them to go through. Again, when they when they were drawn in that group, I think they would have felt that they were in a, in a very comfortable group there. I don't think they necessarily banked on uh, Libertad being quite as good as, as they've been. Um, certainly, they're scoring plenty of goals and um, they've got some exciting players there as well. Um, that draw against Caracas was a is a bit of a shock, but I think there's certainly in the opening fixtures when you're going away to uh, Venezuela and some of the other far flung parts on the continent, getting a draw away isn't going to make or break you know your your tournament. So I think they're in a good place. Obviously, um, they had that f- fantastic end to the season, um, really put a, a great 
run of uh, results together ever since Alfaro left. Um, and they, they, they seem to kind of be getting into their, their mojo again and, and finding, finding their best form. So you'd, you'd expect, you expect them to go far again. Um, certainly, you know, keeping hold of Tevez, he's sort of been rejuvenated um, and, and obviously getting the best out of uh, that, their sort of core group of Colombian players as well has, has been really um, key. I mean, Simon, you you obviously see a lot more of Medellin than than us. Do you do you think there's any way that they could potentially challenge Boca or Libertad in this group? Yeah, it will be interesting with Medellin. Um, I, I don't think expectations are very high. They've got some really good, interesting young players. Uh, Juan Manuel Cuesta, it looks very good as a, on the left wing. Uh, Edwin Mosquera, who has agreed a deal with 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 uh, Boca Juniors actually as well. So. It'd be interesting to see if he moves to Boca or stays at Medellin until at least the end of the year. Uh, they've also loaned in a player from Argentina, uh, Israel Escalante, um, who was playing at Boca Juniors, has come to Medellin as a striker. Again, there's a lot of interesting young players in at the Medellin side, but they've lost Ricalte, who's going to be a big loss as well, who's gone to Major League Soccer. So expectations, I think, uh, are lower now for Medellin, and they haven't even made the best start when... Uh, when they were looking a little bit better. So I think you know, they'll, they'll pick up bits and pieces here and there. But yeah, I, I wouldn't expect a huge deal from Medellin moving forward. Uh, and they've got a lot of these links with Boca Juniors as well. So it'll be interesting to see if Escalante can maybe uh, score a goal against his former employees at the Bombonera. That would be, be a fun little narrative on the side. <laughs> Spoken about the Argentine domestic football, we'll come to a couple of the domestic transfers as well, but we can't leave this pod too long without talking some of these big moves in Europe and, and our thoughts. Um, so I'll go Tom, Tom Nash, Messi, the Messi situation. Now, again, we're recording this on Sunday. By Monday, there may be progress, so we can't uh, give any uh, great insight into what's going to happen. But how has been the, how has the response been in Argentina to, to the news that Messi wants to leave Barcelona and uh, his career is going to be taking a different direction? Well, as you can imagine, uh, wall-to-wall coverage is probably the, the best way to describe it. You know, you turn on any news channel, my poor wife, who doesn't even have any interest in football, is sick of hearing about El Futuro de Messi every time she turns on a local news channel. So, yeah, I pity the people who aren't interested in football at this time in Argentina. Um, but, you no, know, in terms of what's known about the situation, there's, there's no information here in Argentina, which the rest of the world doesn't know, you know, um, the situation at the time we're recording. Messi's in some very open conflict with the club about whether he even still considers himself a player. He sees himself as having executed this release clause. The club disagree and they think the 700 million euro release clause still applies. So he's still in in open conflict with the club. But uh, the only interesting thing from an Argentine point of view was that the the Newell's old boy fans, uh, the club where, of course, Messi trained as a kid and played his youth football, they actually organised a, a procession the other day and uh, they all turned out for a, what's called a banderazo in Argentina where you, you go with your flags and, and your team shirt and you make as much noise as you can and they they sort of had this march for Messi trying to encourage him to consider coming back to Rosario and finishing his career with Newell's, um, which is, it's not a crazy thing to suggest, but it's, it's probably still further down the line. I mean, obviously Messi is very frustrated about the fact that he hasn't been able to get close to the Champions League trophy in the last four or five years. And he's looking for an outlet to do that. He's looking for a team who can get him back into contention for one last shot at the Champions League. Everyone knows he wants to win it for a fifth time before he, he leaves and he retires. So, no, I mean, the the, uh, the dream of the Newells fans uh, to see him in a red and black shirt, it, it probably is realistic, but it's probably looking at three or four years down the line. It's, it's definitely not going to happen at the moment. Okay, and what about the other, the big striker on the move, Tom Robinson? Uh, Lautaro Martinez, for me, he's been transformative for the Argentine national team. We're going to talk about the uh, Argentine national team in a bit more detail in a minute, but for me, he's his movement, his directness, his confidence has given some energy and some focus for that national team up front. Um, many 
good strikers have come into that Argentine side and and kind of shied away or, or not really stepped up to the plate, whereas Lautaro, for me, has been the complete opposite. How important is the next move for him in terms of his national team uh, importance? And uh, and where would you like to see him? Uh, obviously, you know, there's questions now. Perhaps Barcelona maybe stays at Inter Milan. Where do you see his future and, and how do you think that's going to impact his uh, development and national team chances? Yeah, I mean, it's been a fantastic year for him, hasn't it? It's, I think it's really been his consecration as um, you know one of the most exciting young strikers in world football. The the kind of player that we we all knew he was destined to become. I think he he had that just different level mentality um, that you that you don't often see coming through, as well as all his great technical skills. It's it's his professionalism, his uh, hard work on and off the uh, pitch, um, his concentration, um, just that, yeah, just that different elite mentality that I think was always going to see him succeed. And it's really nice to see him doing that. Um, it's it's tough to know where um, he, he would go just now. Obviously, the Barcelona's the, the club he's been most heavily linked to and obviously so much of what happens there is going to depend on uh, the Messi situation. So certainly if they're looking to freshen up and uh, get some more young blood into that side, then then Martinez, rather than being a replacement for someone like Messi, he's, he's maybe much more someone like Suarez is there. So I think... Barcelona or any club would be would be lucky to have him. I don't think it's a, a done deal yet because there's so many other dominoes that need to fall. Um, and obviously Inter are, are in a good moment right now. You know they missed out um, on the Europa and, and Serie A, but they're they're moving in the right direction. And he's got such a great relationship with Lukaku up front that um, it would be a shame to sort of disrupt that. So personally, I, I would like to see him stay at Inter for for one more year, and then I think after this very difficult window to do any real business in, especially for those players who command such high fees, um, it might be, yeah, it might be sort of wise just to sit tight, wait to the next one when hopefully the world situation is a bit calmer and we maybe clubs know what their, their incomes and their, their financial, um, viabilities of everything are going to be and, and then make a move then because realistically whether he stays or goes he's still going to be a key piece for Scaloni's side going forward he's been the real success story of that national team um, that's been in transition ever since Scaloni took the job and he's as you said he's someone who's stepped in made an impression straight away in in the sort of if you compare it and can contrast him to the likes of Icardi and Dybala who have, who have really in the in the chances they have had, haven't taken them. Um, he's he's done the opposite, and he's he's made himself an absolute key figure. So, I think, regardless of where what where his club future lies, he is going to be absolutely massive for the national team, and and he is that leading striker going forward when the likes of Aguero and and, and Messi um, do move on. So, yeah, hopefully, he just keeps going on that upward tra- uh, trajectory. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it does seem as though uh, Koeman's keen to keep Griezmann and uh, play him as a central striker. So if he were to go to uh, to Barcelona, perhaps the plan would be to uh, create a partnership. Obviously, uh, Griezmann's very different in his style to Lukaku. Um, but perhaps it's a, it's a good fit to have a front two if, that, if that's what they want to move towards. I mean, who knows with Barcelona? Also, um, whether... Barcelona receive a transfer fee for Messi or not may also be a big part of that decision. If they're in a position to maybe negotiate uh, Lautaro as part as a part of a transfer or, or get the money from Messi to pay for Lautaro, you know who knows. As you say, many many things that are connected, and uh, you know is, is particularly complicated with a ongoing legal case to whether Messi is a free agent or he's a player with a you know hundred million price tag. It's, it's uh, it's a, it's a big job for the Barcelona lawyers. Uh, no pressure there at all. What about uh, Rodrigo de Paul? Obviously, a player who's been involved with the national team, a player who has a lot of quality and is being now linked with Leeds United. Uh, a, a pretty big move to you know to the Premier League. Uh, do you think he's up to it? What do you What are your thoughts on de Paul and uh, and this possible move to to, to the UK? 
I definitely think he's up for it. He's he's really shown over the last few years that he's he's developed into a into a really impressive midfielder. He's he's coming into the the, the peak of his career. He's he's versatile. Obviously, he can kind of um, sort of drift wider and sort of nominally um, play on the flank. But he's he's been fantastic for um, Argentina. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of focus on I think Perez and Lo Celso as the two guys to take Argentina's midfield forward. But the bowlers has quietly gone about his business and, and probably is arguably, you know, uh, a, a nailed on starter now for the national team. He was, he was part of that really exciting young uh, racing team um, back in sort of the 2013, 2014 um, season. And, and he broke through as yeah quite an exciting attacking midfielder. I think he's now more of a, you know, box to box, energetic kind of shut, shuttler who who can who can contribute going forward, but was also very good defensively as well. So, you know, ask any Valencia fan, and and they'll probably say that they they regret selling him um, when when you know he wasn't necessarily pulling things up. But I think he showed enough quality there that um, if they'd held on to him, they they would have had a really good player. And and now at Udinese, he's been there for for four years, and um, he's. Yeah, he's an established Serie A midfielder, not only Leeds, but Juventus also really keen on him. So I think he's like a few Argentina players right now. He's he's at that moment in his career where you, in theory, should be hitting your peak and uh, sort of their, the talent they clearly always had is is actually now being realised. You know, you can look at Ocampos as, a, as another one, even, even Dybala's uh, return of form to make him one of the, the better players for Juve this season as well. It feels like they're, they're coming good. So yeah, expect to see a lot more of uh, De Paul. And he, I think he's someone who could do a job in, in pretty much any league in Europe. Okay. So yeah, Tom Nash, we have to talk about a very sensitive subject for, for both of us. I imagine for all of us, uh, Juan Fernando Quintero. I'm sorry to bring it up as a, as a River fan. Uh, what is the situation with Quintero? Is it a done deal? Uh, should we get out the get out the, the hankies and uh, and give it a little cry, or because it looks like perhaps he might be leaving the club? Is is what's the latest on that? Yeah, it is. It's time to get the hankies out for us here for the River fans in Buenos Aires because it's uh, it's a done deal with uh, Shenzhen. So Quintero uh, will move to to play in China after two and a half years uh, with River, and the deal was sort of held up for it was agreed, but then held up just because of some technicalities relating to commissions and things so actually Quintero stopped training with River over a week ago because the deal is almost done it's so certain to be done so yeah in the next few days probably even by the time you've edited and publishes this podcast there'll probably be news and uh, yeah he'll be on his way to play in Shenzhen for uh, a huge fee a big juicy contract awaiting him there in China so um yeah, there's there's no um, sort of regrets or remorse in in Buenos Aires. I think the River fans are just grateful that he came to the club and played as well as he did, and wish him all the best, really. So uh, yeah, good luck to him in the rest of his career. So Quintero's going to leave as a, as a fan favorite. I mean, if you score the winner in a Libertadores final, uh, I think perhaps your your beers in Buenos Aires are, are paid for for the rest of your life. So at least if you're on the right side of Buenos Aires. Um, what about Carrascal? Uh, was also linked with a move abroad. I mean, some in Colombia will kind of hope that he steps up and uh, and kind of maybe takes the place, takes fills the Colombian quota over there in terms of uh, attacking midfielders in River. Um, does it look like he's moving? And what are your thoughts if he stays? Well, there were rumours that he would move to uh, CSK Moscow. Um, so there were some serious rumours last week that that was sort of brewing, that move. Um but no, it looks like he's fallen through and they went for someone else. So for the moment, at least for the time being, he's going to be staying at River. And, you know, we've talked about this player before in other podcasts, haven't we, Simon? He's a, he's a high potential player, but he also has a high potential for it all to just go wrong. You know, he's extremely talented. So um, it does open up a space. Quintero's departure does open up a space uh, in the Riverside for either Carrascal, and he'll be competing with a very talented young Argentine midfielder called Cristian Ferreira. And both of them will be sort of given that that role now of adding that little bit of trickery and that, that little bit of creative talent when, when River are struggling to open up an opponent. So, yeah, hopefully he'll get more time with River and hopefully he'll get 
a chance to develop, really, because, like we said, his, his talent and his potential is absolutely huge. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if anyone uh, wants to hear that podcast, it's one of the, the Patreon extras that we, we, we do here at World Football Index. So if you just have a look at the World Football Index website, you can you can find Patreon. We've done dozens of additional profiles on players and done some city guides as well, which have been a lot of fun. So if you want some more on Carascal, who I, I think I agree with Tom is exceptionally talented, but... Uh, uh, a little bit, a little bit inconsistent, a little bit wayward uh, decision making here and there. He's he's definitely has his flaws. Um, so if you want some more on that, we can uh, you can check that out on the World Football Index Patreon. Uh, Tom Robinson. While we're talking about Colombian playmakers, uh, another international uh, who's very popular over here. Uh, Colombia loves a ten. Argentina loves a ten too. And it looks like Edwin Cardona is heading back to Boca. Uh, do you think this is a smart move? And uh, do you think he'll be able to have the positive impact he had during his first spell? Yeah, no, I think he's, you know, he's had, he's had a spell at Boca already. He, he did well. I, I think he's, you know, there's always maybe slight question marks about um, his professionalism off the field sometimes. I'll put it that way. Um, but I think he's he's that level where he's he's clearly going to be one of the best um, attacking players in the league. And and also, he's got a nice Colombian core, as, as we kind of mentioned before as well. Sebastian Rija, um, Jorman Camposano, Frank, Frank Fabra, who's, who looks like he's been having a few alfajores um, during the break. Um, but uh, yeah, I think he, alongside Tevez and Rija, are going to be able to give that kind of creativity and uh, uh and spark and uh, an invention that are, are going to be really really um potent at this level so it's it's a i feel like it's a fairly low risk move for Boca. um it doesn't necessarily get me off my seat massively but um you know he he's a character and, and he brings something to the league so um yeah i think i think that's certainly one of the biggest arrivals in the league even if it is not necessarily a new face but a, a returning one yeah absolutely i mean cardona will score uh, 10 incredible golassos a year uh he'll do some nice things he's a he's a very talented player um so i, I think he's one he'll give me a reason to tune in for Boca games which is always nice uh, alongside the other colombians uh, tom nash uh, a, a former river man back to newells uh nacho scocco uh do you think he still has it is it a good signing for for Newell's, um, will he still be able to produce uh, in the Argentine league? It's a great move for Newell's, actually. Yeah, it, it surprised nobody because when he went to River three years ago, you know, he made it clear that he did want to go back to Newell's. He feels a very strong affinity to that club. So he did make it very clear right from the beginning uh, that he wanted to, at some point, return there to finish his career. So um, he's now, oh, I can't remember off the top of my head, I think he's 35 uh, but yeah, he's he can definitely still do it. I mean, he scored a superb goal for River, a superb individual goal for River at the start of this year, just before the pandemic started, where he took on two or three players and slotted it past the goalkeeper. So he's definitely still got it, yeah. Um, it's going to be a good signing for them. Uh, Newell's haven't really shown much in the last year or two, unfortunately. They've changed manager a lot and they, you know, they've changed systems and changed players. So they're not really posing a consistent threat to the teams at the top of the league. But on an individual basis, then, yeah, Skoko is, a, is still a very good signing for them and their, their fans will be delighted to see him playing in red and black for his fourth time. This is going to be his fourth spell at the club. OK, sounds good. And before we finish on this subject, uh, Tom Robinson, uh, one of your favourites, so I think Adam in particular is a big fan of, of Big Geich, uh, the, the striker. Um, what are your thoughts? He's off to CSKA in Russia. Uh, is this is this a good move for him? Do you think this will uh, allow him to get into perhaps the Argentine setup? He does offer something quite different for Argentina potentially, no? Yeah, it's it's a bit of a weird one, isn't it? Because I think we all had maybe quite high hopes of him going to maybe a um, maybe not a more prestigious name, but certainly maybe one that we're more familiar with in in Western Europe rather than heading across to Russia. But the uh, the business that they've done over the window has been really, um, yeah, quite fascinating. They, they seem to have made a, a real go at bringing in some highly rated young players, um, Bruno Fuchs from Internacional, um, and also they've got a, a young uh, Nigerian uh, from here in Wien as well, um, 
who again is a really exciting player. Um, so it looks like they're they're going all out for having quite a you know bringing some international flair to to their um, to their ranks. And I think as well, Geich is the type of big burly strapping center forward who you know isn't going to be a shrinking violet in 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 the Russian league there so i th- i think that you can see the the attraction for it i think mainly it feels like san lorenzo were just looking to to cash in as soon as they as soon as they could and obviously he was geich was very close to going to bruges um sort of 6 months previously so it's 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 always been on the cards it's not been the surprise that he's he's moving yes maybe we would have liked to have seen him um in in France, in England, in, in Belgium, somewhere like that, uh, where we're probably going to see a bit more of him. But um, I think even though it's not necessarily a, a move that's going to enhance his national team credentials, the fact that he's been doing well at, at various youth levels and, as you said, offers something that's very different. You know, there's there's not too many Argentinian strikers who are in his mould. So I think he's always going to be considered because of that. But I think because he knows that he's still some way down the pecking order for the next couple of years, he's he's not probably going to be a regular for the for the full national team unless he starts banging in 20 30 goals a season um for for at least another 2 3 years i would say so it's almost a kind of a good move just to establish himself get his get used to european football certainly earn a earn a pretty pretty penny um get plenty of rubles in his uh, in his bank account and um, and then maybe look to make another move uh, within Europe. Um, I think that's probably the idea that he's got there. Um, shame that we've not really seen as much of him for San Lorenzo as we would have liked, but um, at, such is the, the the way of most young players in Argentina. So yeah, it, it's a bit of a, a bit of a left field move, but um, one that I think isn't necessarily um, a terrible one. Okay, cool. And Tom, before you go, a quick question. Um, I've seen quite a few interesting Argentine players coming out of the second tier of Argentine football, um, moving to, to linked with MLS, moving abroad. Is that reflective of a, of a good level of quality in the second tier? You know, what are your thoughts on some of these players? Mateo Bajamic is obviously the latest, but there seems to be a, you know, a decent amount of talent over there and a potentially a uh, a good option for some sides looking to pick up some quality youngsters at a decent price. Is, is that uh, broader? And what are your thoughts on some of these players coming out of the second tier in Argentina? Yeah, I don't think it's necessarily a, a sign that the second tier is is starting to produce even you know better players. I think it's just a case that um, it's more. Yeah, I suppose yeah, it's more of a more a situation where you're looking at the market extending its reach beyond the the first uh, first division and clubs looking just that little bit deeper than perhaps they did in the past to get those best deals um so yeah Bakamic is a, is a player that I'm a huge fan of and I think he he's someone who's clearly got the quality to play in in the top division but it's just because the club he's broken through at Instituto is is in the second division a bit like we saw with Dybala we've also seen um a couple of other um, players from Instituto go goes straight across to Europe before they've even played in the Primera. So there's there's a bit of circumstance around it, but I, I, th- I think generally you'll get the odd um, talent that's that's there. But it's it's um, it's certainly a good shop window for maybe clubs who, who don't have quite as much uh, a big budget and want to take a bit of a uh, a lower risk uh, signing. Um, not have to fork out too much. And um, yeah, there is definitely some jewels to be unearthed there. So, you know, we've mentioned Dybala, Lucas Ocampos is one who went straight from the second division. Um, and we've also seen Valenzuela go across to Familia Cao in, in Portugal, which could be a, a bit of a master stroke as well. So yeah, if, if you look hard enough, you'll you'll find the, uh, the, the few jewels that are there. I think it's just... You know, with Argentina, there's there's always so many good young players coming through that, um, yeah, it's it's not just the Primera, and you know, it's it's a case of having a look at the second divisions, having a look at the youth teams, um, and and trying to maybe get them before they're too expensive. Really, I think that's the idea. Um, so yeah, interesting, but not necessarily something of a of a up and coming trend. I would say. 
Yeah, absolutely. Okay, yeah, Bajamic. 1.5 million. What a bargain. We'll see. We'll see. I, I'm, I'm interested to see how he does. And maybe uh, <laughs> some more teams will, uh, will take interest in the future. talk about the national team um tom nash first of all do you do you think that uh, a, an idea of play is coming through obviously we've had a, a huge break and, and maybe uh, there'll be some rethinks in the in the meantime but do you think argentina are kind of on track to have a clear view of where they're heading at least moving forward now personnel can change here and there but it does seem to me that there's a, a bit more stability perhaps in the process, which is maybe a surprise because nobody expected this managerial appointment to be a, a permanent long-term one. But it, it looks like he's done a decent job so far, no, Tom? Yeah, he's, he's certainly done well enough to uh, to keep the doubters at bay for the time being. Um, you know, they're still trying. I mean, one, I've always maintained that one of the problems for the Argentine national team is that you have to choose from such a huge array of players that you end up trying so many different options that, you know, other teams with perhaps less options like uh, Chile or Uruguay, you know, it's easy for them to settle on an 11 because it's very clear who the 11 best footballers from that country are. But Argentina's a bit like Brazil. There's such a huge range of talent to choose from. Just selecting a squad can be quite hard and it changes from, from month to month and year to year. There's a lot of changes in that squad because people play their way into it and people play their way out of it, of course. Um, now, yes, I think there's enough to say, uh, you know, just what's happened in the last year or so that uh, there is some sort of argument for them settling on a on an eleven and on a way of playing. Um, it seems that Messi still has uh, obviously a future with the national team. It seems that Aguero does as well, um, and of course we've talked about Lautaro Martinez and how important he's going to be. So. Yeah, there is some optimism that they could, between those three, you know, you could really set the world alight. If those three can all get comfortable playing with each other, Argentina are going to be one hell of a force, uh, certainly in the attacking department. Yes, absolutely. Well, I mean, Argentina in the attacking department is is something we've been excited about for years. Um, At times, they've misfired a little bit. and, And as you say, I think it's right that um, we've seen, for example, Priya, uh, before the 2018 um, World Cup in qualifying, every month it was a new plan. Let's stick this guy in, let's stick this guy in. <laughs> and uh, and, and it, it wasn't particularly organised. But, Tom, it does look like you could maybe have Messi in behind Lautaro and Aguero. Is that the system? And how are they looking defensively? Because, you know, we can always get excited about Argentine strikers and and they're were, they were in abundance. And, and as we've said, maybe too many at times. But the question for the last three or four years has been they can see too many goals. They lack a bit of structure. Um, is the midfield looking like it's coming together? And what about the defence? Where are we looking in terms of Argentine defenders? Because there's been quite a few interesting youngsters coming through. Is that is that the plan now to bring some of these younger guys in? Yeah, so it's, uh, as Tom mentioned there, it's it's been a sort of a, uh, a slow and steady uh, reintegration of, of some of the likes of Messi and, and Aguero and and sort of there's been experimentation but with an idea a plan so lots of people have got a chance and certainly I'd say midfield was one of the areas of the the team that seemed to start to take form and, and solidify more than more than anywhere else really because you know you've got Perez um as sort of a deep line playmaker Lochelso and De Paul are probably the the midfield three that have um, have established themselves and there's there's also depth there with the likes of Nico Dominguez coming through as well um Ezequiel Palacios who's been uh, who was great for River and um and hopefully will be getting more game time at um Leverkusen uh so yeah, there's. I think there's there's a lot of very good, decent midfielders um, there. Even the likes of Guido Rodriguez as well, who's, who's now in Spain. Um, and yeah, the, generally that seems the middle of the pitch is actually there's not too much to to worry about there. And and even you've got you know wide options like 
um, uh, Alexis McAllister and particularly Lucas Ocampos coming through and, and giving you kind of the flexibility to try different formations and, and systems. Yes, you're probably going to go with a front three of uh, Messi, Aguero and Lautaro with Messi drifting in from the right and yeah, probably being more of a, a number 10 than anything. But, um, you know, that, that part of the pitch in the middle is is good and has some depth and is reliable and now has that experience the defense is still the big weakness um there is a really good batch of young players coming through Noel and Perez obviously is the I think the the one who's risen to the top now as as the most exciting the central defend defensive uh player but um you know you've you've got uh, Lisandro Martinez um Christian Romero um Ballardi, there's there's tons um of good players Juan Foyth is still you know a good young option uh, Lucas uh, Martinez Cuarta as well is 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 very good um so there, it seems to suddenly be a, a lot of good options coming through in center back and a few I haven't even mentioned there as well um the obviously fullback has been an issue for for as long as I can remember really Tagliafico has got the left backs uh, slot nailed down and Montiel's beginning to um, emerge as probably the the number one choice for right back but he's still by no means established and and I think it's more due to the fact there really aren't many other options at right back there you know Saravia's fine um, and you know could do a job but um, we're you know we're, we're not really sure we've even seen Foyth there as a sort of makeshift right back which hopefully isn't something that's going to happen long term so I think yeah midfield and up front are fine S- defense is still kind of it in a transition period where you, you can't just throw in all the youngsters together and you're still kind of needing the lights of Petzella and um, Otamendi to to maybe usher in the the new uh, generation who maybe not for the next World Cup but the one after will probably be um, much more established and, and really good players fullback worries me and goalkeepers okay there's a lot of seven out of tens um, but I think there's potential for that to, uh, for someone to emerge and, and really nail down that spot um, there's not really been um, anyone since uh, Romero who's who's had the number one position for a long time uh so that's probably another area where there's there's plenty of scope to um uh to experiment and for someone to come through and and be argentina's number one yeah absolutely i mean if if i see otomendi uh, in the team again then i'm gonna be depressed because i don't i don't know mate there's a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of good talent in uh, a lot of good prospects in argentina and for me just just go with some of them. I, I don't care. They can't be much worse than Otamendi for Argentina, even if they're a disaster. Let's 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 get their let's get their catastrophic catastrophic performance out of the way early and, and just move on from Otamendi, please. Um, but yeah, it's interesting because there's definitely some good young centre backs there, uh, which will be interesting to see how they develop. And that's clearly for me the area of of the side which can be improved. There does look to be more balance now um, in midfield and, and obviously there's a lot of attacking options up front. For me, looking at Argentina over the last five years, it's been the struggle to get everyone in the team, everyone in the team up front. Some managers have gone for um, sticking all the forwards in and just hoping that's enough and some have gone, oh Jesus, look at our defence, let's pack let's pack the defensive midfield and the defensive areas and, and just leave Messi up front on his own. It's been a kind of switch between the two. So if they can get the balance right, I think they'll be be doing very well. Uh, Tom, what are your thoughts kind of deeper in the side? I mean, uh, what about Montiel? He's a player you'll have seen quite a lot of. Do you think he's a good option at right back? And uh, where do you stand on the goalkeeper? Um, again, uh, you know, for a team like Argentina to have a goalkeeper who only played national team games for most of his career. I think Moromero's played more national team games than uh, club games. Now, obviously, he's been very good for Argentina considering um but but do you see perhaps some of these uh, alternative goalkeeping options as an upgrade or where do you see uh, you know as tom says there's a lot of seven out of tens who do you think is going to come forward uh, and be the main man in goal well the development there is the form that amy martinez has been in for arsenal um so six months ago or 12 months ago the goalkeeping position was just a toss of a coin really between andrada and armani 
which you know really gets people talking in Argentina because that's a, a straight river Boca battle, and obviously everyone defends their own man in that situation. Um, but now it's become a bit of a three-way thing where you know Emi Martinez playing as well as he does for Arsenal and winning the FA Cup and winning the Community Shield as well. Um, you know that's really made people sit up and take notice in Argentina. So they're probably the three goalkeepers that will be selected for the next squad. And, you know, there's some other people sort of on the the outskirts of the squad, should we say, people like Musa. Um, but yeah, I mean, Emi Martinez may well get that number one shirt next time Argentina play. It'll be interesting to see what Scaloni thinks about that. Um, in terms of your other question about Montiel, yes, I mean, he's a player that's progressed a lot. Uh, you know, people often forget that he had to convert from a centre-back to a right-back. And he's been doing a very good job of it. That River, uh, you know, Gachado has, has improved him year on year. Um, you know, first he became a very stable defender, and then now he's able to offer a lot more going forward as well. You know, he plays some nice one-twos, and even a some what we call a sombrero in Argentina, where you flick it over the head of the the defender that's in front of you, and you go behind him to collect it. You know, he's even done that a couple of times. So his confidence while in possession has improved a lot as well. And he's probably a player that you're going to be seeing in Europe in the next 12 months, definitely in either Bundesliga or or France or somewhere in Western Europe over the next 12 months, you'd imagine. So uh, like Tom says, yeah, he's, he's going to be the number one choice at right back at the moment, not because he set the world alight, just because, you know, that, that seems to be the situation in that position. It was the problem position for Argentina at the 2019 Copa America. So yeah, uh, Montiel is probably the best bet for that position at the moment. Okay, cool. So before we finish, I mean, let's have a quick look at the calendar. So the plan is World Cup qualifiers begin before the end of the year. Uh, It's a long, drawn-out process, but a very exciting one here in South America uh, in a league format with the the top sides progressing and then one side as well going into uh, a playoff, a continental playoff. Um, So it's a busy calendar. Uh, We'll see if that comes to fruition. There's also a Copa America, which has been postponed. It was planned to be held in uh, Colombia and Argentina. It's now going to be played a year later. So it will be in Argentina and Colombia as things stand. Uh, That schedule has been announced. Uh, Tom Robinson, first of all, are Argentina going to the next World Cup? Is there any chance that this is the year that they fully mess it up they've come very close to messing up a couple of times in history but they always seem to get over their line is there any concerns about getting to that world cup and uh what are your thoughts on the next copa america um we'll have to see if there's fans in the stadium it's going to be a very very different experience if there isn't but uh how much importance and and where do you think that particular competition falls in terms of priorities with world cup qualifiers likely to be well underway at that point well, there's always a, a pressure when it comes to Argentina, and you know any Argentina fan will probably will always consider themselves having a birthright to be at the World Cup and, and certainly challenging for titles. And obviously, you've got the the short term uh, desire to, to win something with Messi, which I think is always going to mean that they're really going for it. Um, I think they're a lot further along in their. De- uh, their progress and development than they were at the last Copper, where they did quite well actually probably performed above expectations and were, were absolutely horrible in the early stages of that tournament but but managed to get to um to, well get a lot further than we, we thought they would really and, and get to the semis um so i think they're in a lot more stable and better place than they were then i think they're now while not being anywhere near the the best in south america i think they they know almost they know their weaknesses and their strengths and they're not going to just go out all guns blazing and, and think that they can blow teams away, that they can be a bit more savvy. They now got that, um, that younger core who've got experience, but know that sometimes they are going to have to sit deep, play on the counter against better sides, but they can actually do that. And they've, they've got the confidence to do that. So while they're not at the level of probably Brazil and arguably Uruguay as well, I think they are now sort of, creeping back up to that kind of level of maybe yeah Colombia Argentina Uruguay being on on a fair par um and just a little bit behind Brazil and and obviously capable of beating them on their day so i think they've got a a good chance obviously the, the fact that some of it's on home soil is going to hopefully be um a benefit but right now there's there's so many question marks uh, about how everyone's going to come back, how everyone's going to be affected. 
how things are going to go forward um if there can be any further disruption so um a lot of ifs and ifs and maybes especially when we haven't seen them play for so long um but I, i'd still be pretty confident that they're they're not going to miss out on the next world cup even if they don't necessarily um qualify with style okay tom nash so, so tom robinson saying that they're going to the next world cup now uh, let me try and put some put some pressure on okay so brazil are looking incredibly strong so much attacking option they're gonna they're gonna run away with it there's no issue for them uruguay they've suddenly got a midfield that can play they're gonna be absolutely amazing over the next couple of years you still got good strikers the defense is solid they're gonna destroy argentina colombia look at the depth in the squad that they have oh my god they're gonna be so great and then uh uh, Ecuador, uh, <laughs> Chile maybe, I don't know, uh, Peru is still okay. Uh, have I convinced you? Are Argentina going to the next World Cup, Tom? I would say yes. Uh, I wouldn't expect it to be done comfortably or stylishly, but I would expect them to get there, uh, possibly in the third to fourth place or even through the qualifier, um, which I think was fifth place, if I'm right in thinking. Uh, yeah, I would probably side with Tom in that, yes, I, I would expect them to make the World Cup. Um, but along the way, I'd expect them to make it very clear as well that they're not really going to be the favourites to win the next World Cup. That would be my guess. But as you've rightly said there, South American World Cup qualifying is one of the greatest tournaments in football because you get these nations like Chile, like like Ecuador, like Colombia, like Uruguay, like Argentina, Paraguay as well. They're so evenly matched and they're so desperate to all get to the world stage. It means so much to a South American nation just to participate in that event that it really is some of the most entertaining and uh, and level-pegging or sort of equal games that you can find in world football. So I'm very much looking forward to it coming back. Yeah, absolutely. For me, that's the football I've missed the most. You can have your Champions League, for me, uh, the, the, the way it brings together these countries. Now, obviously, we're not going to be in the stadium, but you know, I know that when Colombia play, everyone I see... Uh, uh, sheepishly going off to uh, to do their shopping with their masks on are going to be wearing a yellow shirt and I know that's the, the situation around the continent and it's it's a league format and everything ups and downs and you're in and you're out and then you know Colombia uh, Peru that game where Peru qualified because Ospina tried to save a shot that wasn't going in because it was deflected indirect free kick that deflected off the wall and if he hadn't touched it Peru wouldn't go to oh crazy crazy um, so that's the football I'm looking forward to. And the Copa Libertadores, of course, as well. Middle of September is back. So uh, reasons to a light at the end of the tunnel in terms of South American uh, football over here. So it was great to talk to you guys about Argentina. Uh, Tom Robinson, first of all, uh, where can people follow you on Twitter? And uh, I would suggest you push people towards your excellent Golasso podcast as well, which is, uh, which is excellent, regular on Argentine football. We've had a day today where we've focused on Argentina, but uh, if people want to keep following Argentina and all the developments then I'd, I'd thoroughly recommend that one as well uh, very kind of you Simon I think you've, you've done the plug for me if anything there but uh, yeah you can find me on Twitter at TomRobo89 um, doing a few more articles these days as well a few for Y Scout um, and the odd one for Outside of the Boot as well so um, yeah uh, that's the, the best place and uh, pleasure to be on here discussing football and uh, can't wait for it to, to get going again absolutely and tom nash where can people follow you on twitter mr tom nash neutral football fan <laughs> yeah you can follow me on my very neutral account which is called river plate in english uh, it does have a club allegiance as you can probably tell <laughs> uh, which is carp underscore english and um, yeah maybe perhaps one day i'll get around to opening a more more neutral uh, named or a themed account as well because it's probably overdue at this stage but yes at the moment i'd sort of Devoted to River Plate, living here in Buenos Aires. So yeah, it's Carp underscore English if you want to follow me on there. Okay. Uh, actually, we're going to add one thing, so I don't know whether you want to include this as well. Um, but I read this is only one of those things you read on like Varsky Sports um, that there's a potential for if sort of time runs out for this World Cup qualifying, and if they don't have the time to do the league, you know, the, to do the ten team group as they always do, they might even split it into two groups and have two groups of five with the top two from each one qualifying for the World Cup. I've read that's a possibility. Uh, sort of, at the moment, it's not likely, but there's a remote possibility. Okay, absolutely, yeah. So it's it's always... Uh, I mean, even at the best of times, South American football is... 
fluid <laughs> in its administration, shall we say. <laughs> Almost as that. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that would be a polite way to, uh, to think. So, yeah, so, I mean, who knows? Maybe the day before the game, they suddenly change all the rules. <laughs> so but, you, know, you have to you have to follow us all on Twitter to stay up to date with the, the, the latest madness down here. Um, but, yeah, thanks for that, Tom, as well. Guys, thank you for listening. Uh, we're going to be covering all of the South American nations in this series ahead of the Copa Libertadores restart. So there should be plenty of content coming your way. As I mentioned, a lot more stuff on the Patreon as well if you're looking for some more uh, content. Um, we put out things most weeks on players, on, on different city guides. I just did an episode all about Sao Paulo, which was great. I like to mix in a lot of local music. So it gives me a chance to to go searching through Sao Paulo music. And I got some great hippie hoppy, a little bit of, a little bit of funky, all kinds of stuff. Uh, Bossa Nova. So yeah, those podcasts are always a lot of fun. If you're if you're interested in finding out about new cities or finding out, planning your next holiday <laughs> down the road, um, I think those are really, really good ways to get a sense of the culture from locals who live in the city and, and also learn about going to a football stadium and, and how to experience the amazing atmosphere that, that we all enjoy and we all uh, like to celebrate on this podcast. So, guys, thank you again for listening. If you do want to check out the Patreon, um, be much appreciated. A couple of quid and you get... 25 episodes straight in your straight in your inbox and uh you can listen to those and keep keep you busy during this weird crazy time so thanks again and we look forward to the next episode and thanks for joining us